Welcome to The Process Podcast, a show on managing the ups and downs of our work lives, our creativity, of bringing meaningful and impactful work into the world. I'm Marcela Chamorro, your host, an executive coach specializing in empowering leaders on people-first teams like Doist, Honeycomb, GitLab, and more. With everyone that I coach, I work to maximize their performance, but also their well-being. And I'm also an online creator. Apart from this podcast, I write a newsletter called Self Work, and I've created an online course called Courageous Conversations, which helps people master even the most difficult interactions. Everything I do centers around helping you do your best work, but also feel your best in the process. On this show, The Process Podcast, you'll listen to interviews with successful entrepreneurs, authors, founders from all walks of life who tell their stories and share what has worked for them and what hasn't, including how to avoid burnout, when to put themselves first, what advice to follow when making a big life or business change, and more. Get ready to dive into topics such as community coaching, psychedelics, successes, and failures, and all sorts of tools, habits, and systems that can help you improve your performance and also your well-being. On this third episode of the Process Podcast Reboot, I bring you a very special conversation with my friend and esteemed culture coach, Grace McCarrick. Grace has spent the last decade of her career in an operations seat with a hyper-focus on how teams work. Culture work hooked her when she swapped her corporate badge for the startup world, and she scaled a high-performing team as head of culture from seed to series B. Nowadays, she helps executive teams identify the unique strengths hidden in their teams and capitalizes on them for the most powerful path forward. Let's dive into this conversation with Grace all about team culture. What drew you to how people work? So when I was a kid, I was always really interested in uh, stories. And so for me that, you know, growing up in sort of suburban East Coast, that most manifested in theater, movies, TV shows, like I was such a big theater kid. That turned into me wanting to act and wanting to tell those stories um, as a teenager. But I think what was really interesting about it for me was just like the depth of people's motivations, understanding people, um, being so interested in all the different ways that a human life can express itself. And moving through sort of my adulthood and being in different jobs and different careers, I was watching those same types of stories play out in the working world, but it was never the stuff we were talking about. It was never the Excel sheets or the reports that were laid. It was, you know, the report was late because um, this person or her sister had a baby the night before and she was at the hospital up all night. And like that kind of stuff was really interesting to me. And or, or you know, this project went really well because this team just had this unreal way of working together. So the stories behind why the work was the way it was, was what I found really interesting. You know, I've had an experience on very, uh, on teams that have very good culture and I've had an experience on a team that didn't have a very good culture. Did, did you have similar, like which of the two drew you in? Did you have an experience that you were like, no, I want to fix this? Or did you have an experience where you're like, this is so good, I want to replicate this? Uh, you know what? It probably was the combination of both. And I would say earlier in my career, as often happens for people, I had the experience where I went, oh, this is not. Uh, and then I got into a company and a culture that I helped build that I thought was 
the single most motivating thing I have ever experienced. The driving force where you wake up and jump out of bed going, I cannot wait to get into this office today. I cannot wait to work on these things with this people, these people. That was probably the the best tip for me in terms of mm-hmm. going, oh, I I want to I want to work on this. This 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 is a worthy thing to dedicate my life to. And then what happened next? Once so, you decided. I so I'm I'm simplifying the decision, I think. <laughs> it you know, it's easy How in hindsight that, to go through all of that. You're summarizing it was probably like, so it was probably three years. Okay. Um, between me having this realization about being in this culture and I was at that point officially building the culture in the company I was in. I was in an ops role, but as happens when you're in startups, as you know very well, you wear a bunch of different hats and culture was something that people did on the side as a free Mm. part of their job. And for me, it took the same energy and effort as the actual job I was getting paid for that I was contracted for. But I just found this so much more interesting. And um, I I fought it for a while because I only saw culture. I only saw the path for a career in culture through HR. And I had, you know, founders that I worked with pushing me towards HR. I tried it. I hated it. It's not for me. No judgment against anyone. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, well, okay, if I don't want to do HR, then I'm not going to do culture. And I'm going to go. I'm going to do some. I'm going to stay in where I've been the whole time. Um, I tried another startup. I tried doing it. Didn't work. Didn't fit. And um, we were in the middle of the summer of great resignation. A couple of different things had happened, as I think always is the case, right? I I don't want to give too much detail because I don't want to make the story go on forever. But it's not just this oh realization. Then it turned like this. Like I, you know, COVID collapsed the company I was in. I yeah. still had my job, but it was very different. And so I got an executive coach to manage the stress and angst and, you know, like my life falling down around in my ears feeling. Um, that executive coach got me to a place where I realized I wanted to start my own business at some point in my life, which I it had not been a clear realization for me before that. Um, I was in a startup. I was a really early member. I was watching them build the business and I was going, I would do this differently. <laughs> I would build this differently. I would have a lot of different ways to do this. Um, and then it was the summer of the great resignation. And I thought, um, like, I want to, I want to interact in the working world in a different way. I left the startup, the early one I was with. And, uh, my dad said something like, you, you have a, I, you can't see it here on camera, but I have a, a full bookshelf here full of culture and business and business psychology books. So you do all this research. Um, why don't you, why don't you see if you can help anyone retain their people? And so it's sort of this light bulb moment and culture is in not a fully fledged market right now. So a lot of times when I'm talking to people about it, I'm selling you the concept or I'm, I'm educating you on the concept that culture is something that you can pay for and the way you pay for a lot of other things. Um, and so I, this was just a lot of like, what's going to work? What isn't going to work? What, what is the market interested in? And so I started tapping my network. Would you be interested in having someone come in and help, help you figure out how to work a little better together, give you some new insights, help you put the pieces together in a different way. There was enough interest in that, that after 
five months, I then LLC'd and started this officially. And that was January 2022. Okay. So at that point, you're working with clients. And I'm with clients, yep. what happens? What are those initial conversations? I'm curious about like patterns that you see yeah. in these companies who want to invest in culture, likely have not been doing it formally or maybe not even informally before. What happens when you step in? So I will say, um, like many other people starting, I asked people for a more valuable resource than money. I said, can I have some of your time? Will you give me an hour a week for six weeks? Um, and I'm going to test this program on you and I want feedback. And um, that's how I started. So I was doing a lot with individuals that was easier to capture than teams. And there was, I would say, this immense feeling of relief that permeated all of my sessions. There was mm -hmm. this immense feeling of like, huh, things aren't as bad as I think they are. There, there's more solutions to this. There's more creativity I can put to this. There's a different way to look at it. I'm not stuck in this box that I have been waking up every day feeling like I'm stuck in. Mm -hmm. And I would say even through, I just got off the phone last week with, um, I finished a program with my biggest team yet uh, about a month ago. And she was, one of my stakeholders was telling me about this thing they were doing where they're trying to have uh they're trying to share best practices and, and they wanted to sort of up-level the team. And so they're having this thing where once a week, every member of the team is sharing their best practices in a presentation. And she said, I can tell you unequivocally, we would not have thought about this creatively in this way if we had not worked with you. We would not have thought to think of different ways to do things. And that's probably what I'm if I could say overall, that's probably the overall thing I'm getting in response. And what about the negative? Because that, like, there has to be a lot of resistance. And maybe this is happening prior to working with teams, you know, like yeah. in sales calls, et cetera, mm. um, and those initial meetings with them. But what's mm. happening once you get inside in terms of that resistance or that fear or what else? What are you encountering? So I'm in a funny place, and we've talked about this a little bit. The resistance for me is all happening pre-contract. So I would say most of my sales calls, most of my intro calls, the resistance comes from people who don't want me to look through their underwear drawer, so to speak. Okay. That's, Do you feel that that's what culture work is? Not at all. But I can see how you would think. Why? I think how, that how does that get, work? Culture work gets painted right now and... um you know, there's, everyone's going to have their own definition. I spent the first year of my company trying to force my definition down everyone else's throats. Um, that Which was? Not an amazing sales tactic, Marcella. But what's you know your definition? That. My definition is how things work. Culture is how things work at your business. Okay. That's it. It's really simple. Um, I would say people think culture is socialization. People think culture is really touchy-feely. Like I've had, I've had people hire me af after having, I don't think it was ever called culture work, but professional development or leadership development. People come in and say, say to a full group of, you know, 25, 30 people, turn to the person to your right, tell them your deepest secret, tell them things in your history that you're ashamed of, tell them 
something that that is a big challenge for you right now like like no that's so not productive it goes against all of the behavioral research we we think about in terms of work vulnerability as an exercise has to be so much more nuanced than just telling people and it needs to be earned uncomfortable to tell them and yeah it has to be earned yeah it has yeah. to it has to be part of a, a agreement um yeah. so i would say yeah there's this this concept that culture work is very like soft and it's often in companies where it's being done it's being done by women um and it's event planning and it's like there's all of these so i don't do any of that and actually in my pitch deck um the first page is culture work happy hours not included um and so that resistance pre-sale is definitely um probably my biggest resistance i meet the thing about the the clients that i'm getting to contract almost without fail they are women and they're women bosses like i'm not they're not like they're not like you know the manager Goals. of hr they're the ceos they're the presidents um, they're the founding partners. Like they are bosses. They are incredibly highly successful women um, who are visionary, and their 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 appetite for risk in trying to do things a different way is much higher than I'd say the average. Um, and I've had a couple of men, but I would I would call them like evolved men. I think with a lot of male bosses. What I get is this fear of like, you're going to start to dig into things that I want to dig into, or we're going to disrupt something that's probably fine the way it is. And, and all of that is totally fine. My point about that is when I get people to contract, um, they're already bought in. They're excited for it. And that's a really good place for me to be because then I get to come in and have people be open and excited. And that has been almost, I'd say almost a hundred percent of the clients that I'm working with is people are kind of excited to try something different but what is that different so it's not happy hour it's not event planning it's not telling your deepest darkest secrets no. what is it like what do you see as those reps that people need to do in order to build the culture that they want or even Every better company, sometimes the people can't like even dream of that positive culture you know what i mean like they're they can go even further than what they think is possible like i i remember when I was um, back in the job market after having my third child in 2021, and I was telling uh, my family about the kind of job that I want. And I was like, I wanted to pay well, I wanted to be remote, and I wanted to be an amazing company, like very, you know, people first. And I remember them saying to me, that doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> and I found it, or it found yeah. me. Uh, yeah. And... And since then, I've it's really instilled this thought and this belief where it's like, you think you know what you want and we can, there's even better out there. Mm -hmm. So like, most likely you can deliver the exercises because clearly like as a coach, you can't do the work for them, right? You can guide them and, and hold their hand um, and teach them, but you can't do the work for them. But yeah. with your support, they can likely unlock a better culture than they even expected. 100%. The work to me comes into three things. One is you have to empower your team members. You have to connect them. And, and to me, that comes in connecting them to their, helping them connect to their own goals, helping them revisit that connection. 
a lot of that was lost during COVID when people weren't able to plan. So empowering them by connecting them to their own goals, their own dreams, mm-hmm. their own vision for the future, then you must, must, must connect them to their team. And that's going to look different for every team, every company. They must feel like they're a part of their team. And then overall, you want sort of their team and their goals to be connected to the company goals, which is actually the easiest part. I call that a win-win, just like finding that. But you're describing a win-win-win, right? So like individual win, team win, organizational win. How do you do that? Like when you step in, what exactly do you do? Because mentally, I'm not going to um, expose anyone's um, underwear, uh, dirty underwear. But I am, as you speak, kind of going through my mental files of what could have been done in this company that I worked at that had very mm. negative toxic culture. So I'm just so, curious to hear. Well, first of all, and I think people <laughs> talk to me about this a lot uh, from, from the negative culture aspect, you mm. have to have leadership buy-in. I am not going to help anything if you don't have leadership buy-in. You could That's why I left. Me. I mean, my yeah. issue was at the co-founder level. And then there's only so much you can do. Whereas on the, on the positive front, my really positive experience, the one that exceeded all of my expectations, it came from leadership down. Like that leadership buy-in, it wasn't even buy-in. That's just like, that is how we roll. If you want to join us, then you have to fit into this um, empowerment trust everybody I think I wrote the values or I, I edited them and I think there was something about autonomy um people first and like you know benefit of the doubt like all of these different things that just came from the leadership down and that's why I always describe that experience as such a blessing because it kind of it set the bar so high and that has good and bad it no uh, it's it's it, it is absolutely imperative that leadership is important. Absolutely imperative. Yeah. And I'll take value. So what you talked about values. One of the things that I do with teams to get tactical is I have them do commitments. And I think commitments start at the team level. I think mm-hmm. they can and should probably always ladder up to the company values. But there's ways that we want to interact. If it's just you and me, Marcella, on this team, fi- like what are we, corporate finance, you know? There <laughs> never. Could not be further <laughs> from corporate finance, Grace. But sure, I will join you in this exercise. Yeah, you and I are on the worst corporate finance team in the world. Not me. Um, there are going to be ways that... wardrobe. I can't. Oh, my God. No, I think if you just button this one up all the way to the top and then put like a really um, gray blazer over it, you would be okay. I, um, I just started watching Billions. And so I'm having images, if you've watched it, right, uh, of wags. Of course. Of like... Yes. I yes. Know. Yes. That's okay. exactly. Mm-hmm. I the Volo goatee would be cute. I think. Um. Anyway, so there are ways that we're interacting every day that the rest of the yeah. company has nothing to do with. That you know we're going to want to set a baseline and a tone and an understanding. And if you're my manager, even more so, right? Because there are going to be ways that you would like us to interact that you would probably like to measure me on, and you know, performance check or correct me on or reward me for. And we're just not used to doing that at the team level right now. So that's something I bring in, which is every team um, creates commitments for themselves. And I find my work does best when we have this theory and there's things we talk about, there's things we surface, 
and then we turn it into an operational action. So if we were committed, you and I, to being extremely collaborative, okay? Where collaboration is a thing that's really important to us. The way that would look is then there's three or four things that we're going to have to be doing in perpetuity in our work to ensure that we are collaborating because none of this stuff happens. So there's ways we're going to start our meetings. There's ways we're going to retro projects that went well and projects that didn't go well. There's ways that we're going to give do feedback loops before something goes out. Does that make sense? All of these are new habits for people. Sure. Right? There's that that pull to start the meeting with like, what's up? How's your weekend? Yeah. I got my coffee over here. How you doing? Um, yeah. How do you break, as a coach, like how do you break people out of those habits and build those that muscle around these new operational actions? So I'm or, let's just take the ever, meeting for example. Yeah, I'm only ever asking them to commit to things that they are already doing well or that they're mm. doing well enough and wanting to work in. I don't think culture work should be aspirational. I think it should be descriptive. Except- right. So if you you and I wanted to commit to being collaborative, if we had been working in silos for six months um, and we talk once every two weeks. And everything we do is separate and we just meet to sort of put our names on the line together. Collaboration is not going to be a good good commitment for us. It's not going to fit into our work. Can I give you another example? Sure. A lot of the people that I work with um, as a mindset coach and like in early stage teams have difficulty with having difficult conversations at work. Like these potentially Mm. tense thorny conversations it could be negotiation in terms of a promotion or salary but it could also be having a tense conversation with somebody who didn't deliver what they were supposed to deliver or addressing patterns um, that need to be corrected or adjusted in terms of you know whatever it may be so what i realize is as i speak to different people on different levels like from the founder level all the way down to like a community manager. These difficult conversations scare the shit out of them. Sure. Is that something that as a culture coach that you that is too aspirational to attack? Like what, what would you do there if everybody wants to get better at this thing, recognizes the value in this thing, but is scared to do it? Well, I call in my friend Marcella to do a workshop on difficult Okay, but we'll grace... But in that case, and here for everybody yep. listening, Grace is, is referring to a workshop that I gave to one of her um, clients. That was uh, on, so well received that I'm it, so glad. it um, the amount of people who voted on this being their favorite program rivaled the amount of people voted on it, me being their favorite program. That's why so, we're better together, Grace. You, but man. Th- that was a workshop, right? What would you do? As the person in the trenches with them for a, a certain amount of time, right? Like sure. your contract spans a certain yeah. amount of time. What would you do there? What is possible so, for teams? Such a good question. I would probably answer that by saying, I don't think I'm ever in the trenches with them. And okay. that's the beauty of this work. So as a culture coach, I having never really played sports. And so I can't take this metaphor very far. Something of a more of a team coach, a sports coach. So I, I come in. 
I'm able to look from a big picture. And maybe there's a sports metaphor where someone's just coming in for a short term. I'm only ever working with teams for six weeks. Um, I'm not going through it, analyzing anything that exists. I have a program I work through with them. And it is designed for a very specific set of behaviors to um, arise over the course of the six weeks I work with them. If I do some um, more in-depth in-person time, it's still just deepening that work. And Mm -hmm. all of this work across the six weeks, across every program I do, is about giving people tools. Above all, I think the worst thing that companies are doing right now is treating people like children and micromanaging them. And I, I, I see it every day when people are given tools to do better. Mostly they do better. Trust-based autonomy. That's what it was. I remember yeah. I was writing the, the a job description because I, we were hiring mm-hmm. for head of growth and other key roles. And I wrote the job description and I, I added that in there. And, and that's really, it reminds me of what you're saying. Like it just resonates because at this company, there was so much autonomy. That doesn't mean that we weren't checked and didn't have... Um, touch points with you know our managers etc in order to support and guide but we were trusted to get to the end result as we see fit you know within certain guardrails um and that's and it's it, to executive okay. teams and managers which is you should tell people what success will look and feel like here's the finish line you want to get to here's what it's going to sound like when you get there here's what it's going to feel like here's what here's what it's going to look like But between the point you are now and this finish line, this success point, that is yours to figure out what that journey looks like. It's so hard for people to do that. I know. For some people. Uh, And and as a mindset And also, to be fair, Mm -hmm. you know, I I want you to finish that sentence. But to be fair, when people are used to being treated like children, which a lot of corporate places do treat the adults who work for them like children, then... um, they don't, they don't have the muscles to go, oh, I'm going to figure out how to get from point A to point B or the finish line. So, sorry. So you're saying as a mindset coach. I'm just, I'm just thinking that you said you don't play sports or you've never played sports, but we're, you were talking about muscles and reps quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, yeah. is there a better metaphor for coaching? Like, I, I was, um, I was thinking last night, I was at mass and this thought came to me about people who really believe in you and there's mm-hmm. so much power in in knowing that somebody believes in your potential yeah. and that when you have somebody who believes in your potential almost like unlimited you know an unlimited amount of belief then you are able to accomplish that much more mm-hmm. you know and when i think through my life the most impactful people have been the ones who have believed in my potential and i was thinking who do i have who do I have now? I, be, I would say that you are one of them. So thank you. But You're so welcome. I think that's part of our job as coaches. And we do very different things as coaches. But for you to enter a company for six weeks and say, you can, you can. And if you want to, you will. Um, you're not stuck in that box that you think you're stuck in. That has a lot of power. As, as team coach, not only do I believe in the potential of the team, I have this superpower sixth sense if you will i see potential everyone and i see and i genuinely see it i don't make it up 
I genuinely see potential in everyone. So when I'm in these teams, every single person, if they can open up to me just a little bit, I see their potential and I tell them about it and I give them tools. And that's some of the biggest feedback I get from my, um, like my biggest teams is you, you made me feel like the things that I didn't think I was able to achieve, like I can achieve them. You made me feel like now I want to be a leader. You made me feel like I'd like to be a manager someday, stuff like that. Um, I think it's critical and it doesn't have to be like sometimes your managers are so stuck in their own day to day and it doesn't have to be those people. It's such a gift to have someone come in and just for a little bit, see you, understand you, motivate you. And then you you have some new tools, you have a new perspective and everyone moves on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what's interesting to me as a mindset coach is that when somebody has trouble delegating or somebody has trouble trusting, um, I, I just want to get in there. I want to get in there because yeah. a lot of the time they want to be able to delegate. Like this isn't something that I am prescribing. This is something they're saying to me, like, Marcella, I really want to be able to delegate, but it pains me to do it. Help me. And I cannot continue this way, but I do not know how to move forward. And so I, that, that to me is like music to my ears. I'm like, let's, dig yeah let's go through this what is the pain what is the source and then how can we usually what is the positive intent so like what are you gaining from this behavior that you want to change so it's an unwanted behavior but it has a positive intention it is trying to help you in some way or you're trying to help yourself in some way through that behavior can we find other ways Mm. to meet that need meet that intention without the unwanted behavior and switch to a wanted behavior. And when I see people, like you and I could be like a one-two punch, Grace. Like, Ooh, I was just thinking that because I'm not going in there under a drawer, but you are. I really enjoy it. That sounds gross. But I really, um, no. there is nothing. I keep going back to like my why. And to me, it's helping people feel better while they do better. So in coaching, you know, like 60, 70% of your actions are happening outside of a session, right? So we're like, we're digging and then later you have to go implement. I can't do that for you. Sure. But if at the end of the day you execute and you do not benefit internally from those external actions, then what the f*** are we even doing? Yeah. And so that's on, a, on an individual level for me. Yeah. What does that look like for you on a team level? Have you ever encountered, like, what's been, I know you're not going to expose anyone's dirty underwear, but, no, 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 but what's been, like, a really challenging mm. client so, that you've had or experience with a company? I would say, and I'm still, I'm still new to the game, so I'm, I'm two years Not in. that I new. Would, in, the, in the grand scheme of where I would like to be. With this, I'd like to be going. We are Marcella, impatient people. It's been 20 years. Yeah. We're, we um, are impatient. We are you, we are, you and I are both quite impatient. Um, okay. So challenge. Yeah. So I would say here's a challenge that I come across with, I've come across, which is we've, we've gotten a team somewhere. We're doing some tippity, some operation, some something. Um, they're really excited about the potential. And they sort of go gung-ho in on it. 
they go gung-ho in on it in the wrong direction. And we got to and we got to say this was not correct. And I know you thought it was and that's totally fine. But you're if if you still want to get to where you want to get to, to what success looks like, this is not the way to go. And I can see that from where I'm sitting. So we're going to have to How redirect you. you. We're going to try it again. What, whatever. This is, I, I don't want to give like too specific of an example, but. Um, Please don't. I don't want legal issues on my podcast. No. <laughs> we'll be, you know, I'll be working with a team on some exercise that I've set for them with the help of their leadership. And there's something we want to get to and achieve. And I'm watching them going, this is not, we're not going to get here this way. So we got to redirect. And that's, I think, uh, happens with a lot of managers, right? So we're talking about this, this world where we want to give managers and executives the tools to be able to say, okay, you, my team, you get from point A to point B, and here's what point B looks like, and here's how you know you're at point B, but you figure it out the way. You also have to, as a manager, be able to have the wherewithal to watch them halfway down the road and go, oh, oh, absolutely. They're, they're going off. They're going off path. So I'm going to everybody jump can in. benefit from guidance. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I would say that because a lot of my work tends to to roll into and I designed it this way. There's a momentum to it. And so you get a little bit of movement, you get a little bit, people start to feel different. They meet me next week. Now they're excited. Now no one's like jumping out at two to the, you know, end of the hour. They're into it. They're talking about their team members. They see the little change. They're, you know, they're, they're seeing openings for opportunity. There's this momentum. Sometimes the momentum takes them in the wrong direction and we got to rewind and go in a new direction. Um, and I find that is really challenging because a lot of my work is about uplift and the tools. And I tell people all the time, don't talk to me about your personal shit. I don't care about the interpersonal stuff. I'm not getting involved. Uh, it's not so that's interesting that this is not, not happy this hour. Is not, I do not want personal hour. gripes. I'm no. not your therapist. Yeah. Like we're not get, going, we're, we'll talk about operational stuff. We can talk about things in theory. Um, and so because so much of my work is like momentum and building and lifting, when I have to pull back and correct people, it can be jarring. And that's also totally fine. And that's a part of work, right? And that's a part of life everyone has to deal with. But that's something I'm still figuring out, which is, you know, how do we sort of rebuild that momentum? I think I've done it pretty well. But that I would say to your to answer your question, that's definitely a tension point where um People get so excited and they they take 10% of what you said when they really needed to take 40 and run with that. They take like the first two sentences and run and that, you know, you got it real. Yeah. You know, one of the, my favorite questions when I was a manager, which I think one of the things I will always miss is having a team. Um, I, I guess in one, in some sense, like my clients are now my team, right? Cause I get to develop. Them, see them like their wins are my wins yeah. um but one of the questions that i used to ask on a weekly basis and then i think we moved to like bi-weekly and then once a month was what should we stop doing as a team what is not working and i, I love loved, that like question. i i held things very loosely and i say like hey listen like all we care about is the finish line um and and the finish line can change as things sure. as time progresses like things happen 
but then you come together, you define a new finish line. But we're, so we're always focused on the same finish line, everybody on the team. And what is not working to get us there? What is taking up too much time where the rewards, um, they're not stacking up. And so yeah. let's revisit, you know, let's reorganize, let's adjust our, what, what does everybody have on their plate? And that was one of my team's favorite questions. I remember once getting some feedback from the CEO being like, I cannot wait until you're leading 150 people marketing team. And I'm like, no, I'm not leading a marketing team. But, um, but I remember mm, thinking, well, like, that. it just makes sense to me. Like, we just have to be, we have to be practical. And also, this isn't personal. We're all like, let's come, we're, let's come together and make this decision. I want to hear everybody's voice here, you know? Yeah. It's that's such a good I I love let me jump off that point. It's not personal. I was definitely someone who in my early career took work so fucking personal. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so personally I never did that. I'm sure yeah, I know. We don't have anything like that in common. Um it's disruptive. It's yep. distracting. It overblows things in crazy ways and so i i caveat that a lot now which i say work isn't personal right there's the joy of work and the joy of doing something and the the joy of you know working to get somewhere with other people that you like and respect can be that's all that's the best that's the best yep. of it now we don't always have the best of it even the best thing we always have the best of it all the time when stuff does start to get murky, that's where sort of these personal things are coming in. And it's not, the answer is not to say, well, it's not personal. Don't take it personally. Because, you know, so many people put their life and their self-worth and their joy. And sometimes at Identity. work, that's the only place. Yeah, that's the only place people are seeing them the way they want to be seen. Um, on the negative side, there's a really cool quote about like everyone at, at work is doing a second job and that's covering up who they are in favor of who they think people want them to be. Like there's just, there is just a yeah. lot of interpersonal shit happening at work. We're and humans. So, we're humans are wired for connection, but we are so difficult. Connection and status, connection yeah. and being, feeling valued, connection and safety. We all have egos. Everyone's we let egos. them out to different degrees, right? So Everybody's that's a little bit different actually, how their ego shows up, but we all have. How it. does your show up? My ego, I want to be helpful. Mm. I want to get, I, I want to know that I helped somebody. My ego. And I, I struggle with that because sometimes I feel like that's my true self. That's not that's my ego. Yeah. Yeah. It's my Enneagram too, for sure. Wing three. So I want like all the listeners on this podcast, you know, like I want all the big numbers because yeah. I want to know not that somebody listened to me, but that I gave access to Grace who helped them and yeah. I want to help people. So I think my ego is, it tries to piggyback off that sometimes. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it tries and I'm like, stop it. be quiet. <laughs> um, and I also think that my ego comes out to say, my true self might say, okay, you're helping others. Yep. Can you find a way to help yourself too? Mm -hmm. And where is that balance? And so I constantly have that, that conversation internally mm -hmm. with these different parts of um, 
how do I help myself at the same time as I'm helping other people? And an amazing way that could get really sticky at work, right? That real true, there's, there's a clarity to that kind of understanding, right? And that, that ego, that's not, that's not, most egos don't tend to come from a terrible place. But where that could get so sticky at work is, right, let's say you have a project where you're going to help in some concepts, 150 people. And someone goes, you know what, there's too much red tape, we're not going to do it. And to them, it's like, it's just too much red tape, we're trying to avoid red tape, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, no, 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 no. Oh, 150 people. Like, how yeah. dare you? You know, and, and that, not that you would say those words, Marcella, but, you know, that's how things start to get. T- and all of a sudden, you're in this this absolute war with someone you work with. And it's not even about the thing it's about. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. I think that my own coach training has allowed me to, you know, access tools that I can use on myself. That does not yeah. mean that I do not have my own coach. I will always have my own coach from now on um, because you don't, you cannot see your own blind spots. Mm-hmm. I definitely cannot see my own blind spots. I can see some, but not all. Yeah. And it's helped me. And I know that it, it will be a lifelong journey because mm-hmm. I do think the, the ego at work tends to be um, like whack-a-mole. Like, it's almost like hungry, hungry hippos. Do you remember that game? Very much Where so. They come from all over the place. Like all the hippos are, you never know which one is coming for you. And, um, I just think that I'll never be done. I'll no never one's be ever done. done. And that's not the point. And the point is also not to necessarily be free of it. I think the point is what you said, which is to have awareness about it. And so that's one of the things that I bring into teams, which is I bring them tools. So we do visualizations. We do, um, you know, it so depends on the team and, and what they're looking for. But in the, the product I just did, we did starting off the morning intentionally with sort of writing and discussing reflections from the day before. We do, um, I brought in breath work. I bring in an executive coach and a mindset coach to talk about difficult conversations. You know, I think get, the best you can do is give people tools and say, here's a whole platter of things that you can use to navigate this very complex working world that we exist in. It has a lot of, you know, on the surface complications and difficulties and a lot of under the surface complication and difficulties. So, but you are ultimately the only person that can pick up the tools and use them. And that becomes something interesting. You know, you get through a program and, you know, you do start to see the people who are unwilling, unable, pick up the tools and use them. You go, okay. That's good information. That's helpful. Not a lot. It's definitely not a lot. There's so many more that do. And you're like, good God, I didn't know that woman could run with that kind of like, you know, screwdriver. Yeah. Yeah. I Um, I remember getting off stage after my TEDx. This was many moons ago. I was a young little thing. And I remember got off stage and one of the people who was volunteering, handing out tickets or you know, ripping the tickets, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I got off stage, I walked by him and he stopped me. And he was like, I'm going to do my thing. The thing that I've been, that I've been avoiding for years, I'm going to do it now. And he did it and he still does it. And a lot, he's a, a fitness trainer. And a lot of my friends go to him. Um, oh, he's what? the best. Like he, he trains like the, the Miss Nicaraguas and like the influencers and like, you know, like he's, that's becoming. amazing. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. I think my goal as a mindset coach is to protect my work 
from people who don't want to do their work. Do you know what I mean? And it sounds like you also protect your work by saying who it's not for. Like this is not what, or what it is not. Like yeah. this is not happy hour. This is not therapy. This I do not want to talk about to your interpersonal problems. Like, what do you do with those things when people come to you with them? Mm-hmm. You shut it down. You refer them to somebody else. Like, what what do you do with with things I, that I, fall outside of yeah. your scope? I tell them no. I'm not someone who has a challenging. Time. Why are you so cool? I want to be like you. It's, I don't. Have I have that to too. have like sessions <laughs> with my supervisor to prepare my coach supervisor to prepare for the meeting where I say, "Listen, um, this might not be a good fit." So, <laughs> yeah, teach I, me, Grace. I don't know. I ha- I'm an Enneagram three. My deepest mm-hmm. motivation is that I am successful. Um, I'm a wing too, so I do like helping people also. But it's clearly. Not a- it's not your business of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but I also think I'm doing you a favor. If you're going to come to me with this stuff, you're not going to find me helpful. So now you're paying hundreds of dollars an hour to talk to me about things that I'm not going to help you with in any effective way. So I'm actually doing you a favor by saying no. It's also to be clear, like your, your relationship with people in your work is at a, a different and deeper level than my relationship with people in my work, which is not to say it's, I don't support them, that there's not depth to our conversations. But I'm, again, like, I'm going to keep using this metaphor and maybe I'll find a different, less gross one. But like, I'm not in their underwear drawer. I'm not looking at stuff and then having to reject them. So it's, it's overall just not really a tension-filled experience. I think for me, the, the difference is are these barriers um, protecting my work? It's easier mm-hmm. to do it at the beginning of the work. So if I have a discovery call with somebody, if I meet sure. somebody who's the leader of a team and wants to bring me in, um, I can identify those things that I do not do and say no more easily. Once you're like in a relationship with somebody, you want to be more careful. I have to be more careful. That, I, I realize like you work with them six weeks. Um, for me, I have to be very careful how I handle that so I do no harm. Like, that is and my number one thing. Do no harm, Marcela. I, yes, and that's hard. We're humans. We're flawed. Harms. Yeah. I, I also think you're a person very, very capable of repairing any harm inadvertently done. Okay, but I want to go now because I cannot help myself mm-hmm. um, to you. What is next for you? Okay, so I'm in a very interesting moment in my business where I'm very aware of the fact that I am holding myself back by just doing this on my own. I am having some fear, some control issues, whatever, um, about what bringing other people in looks like. Um and so I'm playing with a couple different ways to do that. And yeah, I mean, it is, it is overall really interesting. It's a really interesting time. Um, I've had my best year yet. I tripled my revenue from last year. Um, Go by the summer. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but I, I also feel like, okay, 
now more. Now I got to triple that rep. Now I got to, you know, 10x. There's that ego. Hello. How are you? (laughs) She's good. She's thriving. She's Um, impatient. She's Mm -hmm. impatient. I, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. I had a phenomenal sort of spring summer of work. I've gotten the most amazing data. I'm also just trying to, like, I I think anyone doing something, like, I've gotten so many, so many cool things have happened. I've been able to get to such a wonderful place. Like, I don't want to f*** it up. You know? What's the opposite of ego? What's the other True self. (laughs) What's the other person that comes up? (laughs) True self. Yeah. Your truest, best self. Like, if you're, grab the best version of Grace and drop her into this conversation. Mm. And I would ask her, what do you want to do this fall, mm. Grace, mm. in your mm. business? I want to figure out what scale looks like, and I want to start implementing that. How? I'm already a little How would you feel as your best self feel. doing that? So I... you feel impatient? No. No. At my best self, we actually had this, just a little plug for Marcella's work. She gave me a little mini coaching um, the other day when I was, I've been feeling stuck around this stuff. And you said something like, if you had whatever these clients and you had this sort of thing that you were, you're looking to get, how would you feel when you wake up in the morning? Because I was describing a thing where I'm kind of dragging a little bit. And that's been really ringing through my head almost every day since we talked. And I've been able to slightly pivot my behavior to start to reflect, okay, my best self is focused, is patient, is um, really, really engaged, and also has a lot of peace disengaging. Um, Although I will say, like, you know, my hope for myself um and this is probably half ego half to yourself is i w- i want to be i don't know if it's going to happen this fall i'd say like next winter i want to be so busy that i am overwhelmed like i want to be on the knife edge of over- like i want to almost be like this is too much like that's that's the feeling i want so why i'm <laughs> just this is a, a totally well, personal question. Yeah. I have three kids. That sounds like hell to me. Yeah. The nice size of overwhelm because I find myself there for very different reasons, not work reasons, um, all the time. And it's just not somewhere where I feel comfortable. But well, it would be of, it would be, you know, work related. I have, I have a, um, a year and a half year old nephew. And if I spend 27 minutes with him, I am on the knife edge of overwhelm. Um, so it's, that it's not that kind of overwhelm, but it's, it's work. You know, I'm, I'm on Friday, I'll be 34. Um, I've, I've engineered my life to be and, and, um, support a very specific way of living at this moment. And for me, it's really about building something in service of something bigger than myself. And that's all I want to do. So when you say I want to be overwhelmed and I mm-hmm. want to be busy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you 
pair that with, I want to be so busy because I'm helping other people so much because I am what? I don't know if it is the New Yorker in me. Um, there was something where it's like New Yorkers don't walk so fast on the street because they necessarily need to get somewhere really fast. It's just because like the need for speed kind of like, so there's a little bit of me. I do operate really, really well in pressure. I operate actually much better in pressure um, than I do when I don't have a lot of stuff going on. And now I've had to build my business out of nothing. I obviously can operate really well with stuff going on, but I find a lot of joy in the pressure. I actually fit things in better. I am, I, in some ways I'm better friend, partner, um, you, you know, teammate. Like I do well with the pressure because I like to, I like to be adding value, whatever that is. I like to be something. I, I like, I, I like when there's a lot going on. I'm thinking of the right way to phrase this. Does that force you to be present? Yeah. Definitely. Have you ever burned out? I'm not. I was listening to actually Jamie Dimon talk about um, freneticism at work and how it's like so within people's controls. No, I don't know if that would happen to me. That's, That's not right. really how I think about, like I used to do, um, I used to do theater in college. So I did, I did theater in college. I was taking full college course load and I was working with an off-Broadway company. And oh. do you know what Hell Week in theater is? No. So Hell Week is the week before your opening. And generally you're, you're, you're 12 plus hours in rehearsal that week. So on top of everything else you're doing, you're, um, you get out of class at three, four, five, whatever it is, and then you're rehearsing sort of through the night. Um, and then you start again the next morning. And I'm just realizing, sorry to interrupt you, why you're yeah, so clear when you speak. Because a lot of the times, like I, English is my second language. Um, and one of the things that I really admire about you is your ability to say what you want to say in a very precise and concise and spontaneous way and i'm just like no you did theater it's not fair <laughs> i don't think that's a strength i have i'll take it but you i feel like that. i take that i'm gonna take it okay. i so i go back to your story sorry that. anyway hell week i i so enjoyed that like there was so there was so much energy being expended in to me the right ways that it just crystallizes everything. Probably similar, Marcella, to what happens when you're a parent. Everything crystallizes. And you go, oh, this is what matters. This is how that makes sense. I have an ability to be really, really, really present. Um, like if I'm on dates, I'll just, my phone's like in my, like on a good date, my phone's like in yeah. my pocket or in my phone. It's like three hours later. Um, and so... I think it helps me also like regulate that when you when you only have so many hours in a day, you're super present here and then you move on to the next thing. Um, yeah, I don't. Um, so you want to be in uh, flow. I've realized that. Always want to be in flow. I um, 
I've realized that I am only in flow in conversation. And that's probably why I like podcasting. Before I knew I liked coaching. Before, you know, all the things, I really enjoy deep conversations. Um, and it all kind of crystallized for me when I discovered coaching and then did coach training. I was like, I've always done a little version of this. I just wasn't even aware that I was doing it. And that's why and you were when, very enjoyable to have those conversations with. I'm glad. I, I remember back in like 2015, I interviewed a friend of mine who's head of sales at a DDC um, beer company. And at the end of the conversation, we stopped recording and she was like, you're really good at this. And I was like, oh, really? Thanks. I don't know. Um, but I think that's because I just, I didn't know that conversation was my thing. And digging and getting to the root and helping. Um, now that I know that, my own challenge is how do I do that for more people? I want to. I want to help as many people as possible. For you, what is the thing that you will be focused on for like the next, you know, three months ending this year? Can I just tell you what I think your, one of your things is though too? Yep. I think when you're talking to people, you see almost like I, I, I think of a lot of these things in, in um, fantasy visualizations. I, I, I read a lot of fantasy books like these like threads of light that connect pieces and them together. And I think to me, it feels like when you're talking to someone, you start to see this web materialize behind them and you're able Absolutely. to see this picture and you're able to pull and go, oh, this one needs more attention. Oh, let me look at this one. I think that's a gift that you have that's really strong. I, I, I would agree with you. Thank you for telling me that because I, I have, I do have a bit an ability to see through to like the source. And I always say like, I love working with founders because I want to get to the source of the issue. And usually that's in leadership. But for example, I have this, um, this potential client that I'm talking to and um, they are struggling with a competitor. And my dream is to go in and work with their team, kind of like Wendy and Billions, right? Mm -hmm. And help them from all different angles address this competitor in a way that can help them protect market share or whatever it is that, that their their goal is, the only way they're going to do that is with their team, their people. And I want to work with their people and mm. help them kind of yeah. unlock whatever it is they need to unlock, whether that's creativity in terms of marketing campaigns, whatever it is, I want to help. Um, but I love that. So my... My goal for the next few months is help more people. Mm. Um, what is it? What is it for you? Probably the same, but let's call it company level. I developed this program. I've been testing it for the past two years. I've had a couple different iterations of it. I had an absolutely insanely productive iteration of it this summer. I've gotten really good data out of it. And so over the next couple of months, I will be working on how to let that data tell a compelling story, which is not a strong suit of mine. Um, and how to, yeah, I want other people to, I would like other executives to try this such that I would love to do that program that I ran for this team in July. I'd love to do 
at least one of those a month. But ideal world, I can do four of them a month. So companies that are your ideal, like Mm -hmm. these executives that you speak of, are they coming from a position of, we have a shit Do you want to see my ideal client vision board? Yeah, yeah, sure. I want to see all the things. Oh, I on the wall. Zoom. Bring me closer. Is that Bobby Brown? With this one? No, that's a mock learning. Up founder of Canva. Right um, there, in the glasses. Julianne Margulis in the morning show. Oh, it's a little blurry. Looks a yeah. little like Bobby Brown, the makeup. Mobile. It does, yes, it does. I was going to say, I have a connection to her. I can put you. you? Mm. I her bronzer is the best bronzer I've ever had in my life. The new Jones Road. Anyway, so that's so. that's my next couple of months. Okay, getting into more teams, getting into teams that want to do this work, and but I but those like, teams, what state are they in? Are they in a shit culture? Like they're perceived. Their They're perceived state. They're, They're high-performing high already. They want to um, get better. They want to get better. Okay. They're high-performing. I think people are doing hybrid and remote pretty terribly right now. So there's probably some friction around that. Um, maybe there's some exhaustion in their like management levels. Managers have just shouldered a lot the last three years. Um Maybe they're having a little bit of retention. Maybe they're having a little generational struggle, sort of like these normal natural things. But this is not a team in crisis. This is a team who is growing, um, who is performing really well, and who has a budget to dedicate to um, improving that. Okay. So for teams that do find themselves being those high performing and do want to get better, where do they find you? You can find me at gracemccarrick.com. So that's G-R-A-C-E-M-C-C-A-R-R-I-C-K.com. On LinkedIn, um, I'm Grace McCarrick, and it should say Grace McCarrick Culture Coach. Um, and I generally do videos about once a week talking about culture so you can get to know me, get a little bit of insight into how I talk about this. I'm also on TikTok, uh, Culture CEO, so C-U-L. T-U-R-E-C-E-O. Um, and I love your TikTok, P.S. Yeah. <laughs> I love I, I don't do TikTok except for Grace no, we- and NSYNC. That's it. Thank you for listening to this third episode of the Process Podcast Reboot. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Grace McCarrick, culture coach. And you can check out more about her at gracemccarrick.com. That's G-R-A-C-E. M-C-C-A-R-R-I-C-K dot com. Or just check the show notes because that was kind of a long URL. Either way, I really hope you check out Grace's work. She's awesome. You can find the show notes at marcella.co. So head on over there for the show notes. You'll also find my newsletter, Self Work, which goes out once a week. And also a free quiz that I created called the Growth Quiz, which will help you identify which is the next direction in which you need to grow. Do you need to grow your skills? Do you need to learn how to have difficult conversations? Do you need to boost your self-confidence? What is the next step for you? We'll dive into that in the free growth quiz. You'll find that at my website, marcella.co.
But most of all, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Process Podcast. I will be back very soon after the holidays with the next episode. Talk to you then.